ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello and welcome to the History Listen. Kirsty Melville here with you. And I'm wondering if you've ever heard of the Bathurst War. Many people haven't. The New South Wales colonial town of Bathurst was established by Governor Lachlan Macquarie in 1815, the first British settlement west of the Blue Mountains. But by the 20th century, the town seemed to forget that it had ever been Wiradjuri land and a war fought there. Between the Wiradjuri, led by their feared warrior, Windradine, and the British. Today, in Windradine's Forgotten War, producer Nicole Steinke takes us inside the different stories told about the colonisation of the New South Wales Central West and the Bathurst War. This is a true story. A story of a warrior named Windradine and the Wiradjuri people who lived within the Wiradjuri nation. Right, I... How do I say fire? Weed. 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 What is it we like? Apostle. fifth of the students at Bathurst West Primary School are Indigenous, and all of the students are learning what their parents and grandparents weren't taught in school. Wiradjuri language and culture and about the war for control of the Bathurst Plains. The story of the Bathurst War is not one story. Different people know it in different ways. For Wiradjuri elder Dinawan Diribang, it's the story of his people and his land. I carry the scars of all those things that happened. And particularly here in Bathurst, the white people who are from the colonial families, they carry that guilt. This one little spot where I come here, sitting and make a fire. It's got no name in particular. We're on the Wombul, Macquarie River. It's just a little place that I come to to do little ceremonies at times for myself, to heal me, just to stay connected to country and the ancestors and that. So it's a pretty special little place for me. Historian Stephen Gapps sees the war through a different lens as he drives the back roads of the Central West in a quest for stories. At that time, from 1815, right up to the 1820s, until after Macquarie left, Bathurst was probably the furthest place to get to from London in the world. Another way of characterising Bathurst would be that remote outpost deep in the heart of Wiradjuri country, surrounded by what the Europeans said were a lot of Wiradjuri people. Letter to the editor, Sydney Gazette, 12 August 1824. Every true friend to the Aborigines must desire that they should be made to learn by terror those lessons which they have refused to acquire under a milder discipline. Honestus. White Australian history says Australia was settled peacefully. This is a lie. Wars were fought, martial law declared, Kuris massacred and their lands were stolen. 
you still won't learn about Wienerdine and martial law in most schools. But the word is spreading in the New South Wales Central West, largely through the work of local Wiradjuri elders, including Dinawan Diribang. Well, Wienerdine, he's my great-grandfather four times. In the history about Wienerdine, it's all written from a whitefellow's perspective and through their eyes. The story that I'm telling you is our story that I know that I've been told through my family, through my uncle, John Bug, my great-uncle, Uncle Jerry Simpson, some of my other cousins who know a bit more of the story than I do. And we've all sat down, talked about him and that sort of thing, and so that's how I've learnt a lot of the stories. Well, my English name is Leanna Carr-Smith, and then my Wiradjuri name is Werribee. So I have Wiradjuri heritage on both my mother and my um, father's side. Working with Dinawan, Liana, or Werribee, has overseen the Wiradjuri Language and Culture Program at Bathurst West Primary School. I didn't hear the word Wiradjuri until I was about probably, I think I was about 12, I think, or 13. My great-grandmother was a part of the Stolen Generation. She didn't share a lot of the stories, but what she actually did, and we found this out after she passed, was she actually did share. I always thought she didn't share stories because I would only just get a little piece of the story. But when all of the granddaughters, we all sat down and we was all yarning, I found out that she actually left her whole story with every single one of us. So we were able to piece together different parts of her story and that sort of completed our story. So we definitely know who we are and where we come from. How we celebrate that part of our life is by your family knowledge. Wiradjuri elder Brian Grant, or Malian Melganuri. So what was handed down to one is not necessarily the same to the other. So you can hear many, many stories. And like Rihanna just said, not one person holds the whole story. So that you tell your individual part of the story. For that to be told truly, we'd all have to come together in the intent of putting our story forward to sit with your story. That's the way of life for Radji people anyway. No one person knows the story. People know their history in different ways. For the descendants of colonists and the rest of Australia, there are written records. Sydney Gazette, 8 January 1824. Advices from Bathurst say that the natives have been very troublesome in that country. Numbers of the cattle have been killed. In justification of their conduct, the natives urged that the white men have driven away all the kangaroos and opossums and that black men must now have beef. Okay, anything else you'd like to tell me about Wayne Yes. He sacrificed himself for his people because they just kept killing them. Yeah, that's very true. So he actually gave himself up. Let's just get around the bend and then we're heading out of town. So where are we going to? A place called Swallow Creek. Just out of Bathurst on the way to Orange. Stephen Gapps is author of The Sydney Wars, Conflict in the Early Colony. Now he's moved his focus westward, across the Blue Mountains, to the story of the Bathurst War. It's a war many of the old white locals still aren't comfortable saying ever happened. It was a site that was attacked and raided, not once but twice, by Wiradjuri warriors and the stock station was abandoned 
twice. And so it's one of the sites of conflict in the Bathurst War. This is a great view of the Bathurst Plains, the thing that drew the Europeans across here like a magnet, grazing lands, flat river valleys full of fish. When the whites first came over the mountains, they described this area as so parkland-like. There was open woodland, nice green pastures and nice open plains, you know, for grazing for animals and all that. Well, our people had shaped the land like that for thousands of years through what we call fire stick farming. What was Wayne Trudine's biggest responsibility to his tribe? He was the firekeeper. How do you know he was in charge of the fire stick farming? Because in the start of his name, it's Ween, and that translates to firekeeper. This yeah. is an amazing view. Yes, it is. The family, when this land was selected, they actually picked a really good spot to build the house. This is David Sutter, sixth-generation Sutter on this land. His father's on record as saying that in 1822, the family were led to Brucedale by the Wiradjuri. Because this will be the third house, because they would have had a slab hut to start with. There was a brick house, you can just see the remains of that down the front there on the river flat. But they built down there, like they did in England, really close to the water. And I think they worked out pretty quickly that one, it floods, and it's really cold down there on the flats in winter. When they took up this land at Brucedale, William Sutter, he's the second generation. His description was that, you know, the river flats were good and fertile, covered in grass, and anything above the river flats was considered wasteland in his view. And if he considered it wasteland, <laughs> I wish there's more of it. <laughs> Weendradine and the Wiradjuri people accepted small numbers of white settlers coming to their lands, and they acted as guides, taking them to areas away from their own camping and hunting grounds and their sacred sites. As long as the whites didn't interfere in their lives, they would be prepared to share part of the land with them. There was no conflict for seven years, which you know, kind of surprises some people, and I'm trying to work out why that might have happened. The Wiradjuri have an answer for this. Kuri's always shared and exchanged with people who are guests on their lands, a relationship white settlers didn't bother to learn about and often abused. Why does not the resistance begin straight away? I think there's a lot of reasons, and probably the, the most important one is that I think that such a small, remote, outpost in the middle of a large Wiradjuri nation seemed like a very controllable situation. It wouldn't have appeared like a full-scale invasion at first. So I think once people started to sort of come out and see what the land was like out this way, like expansion was going to happen. And then with the squatocracy period, because you didn't actually have to buy the land, it was just leased crown land. Uh, and on that land, I don't think you actually had to do too much to it, so you could just run your stock on it. In order to keep the Aborigines away from the stations, some of the settlers now began a practice which was to extend throughout the Wiradjuri domain and indeed elsewhere, wherever the pioneering squatters moved. Retired shearer Percy Gresser spent years collecting stories of colonisation in the Central West. 
1971, he and fellow amateur historian Tom Salisbury published a booklet called Weendradine of the Wiradjuri, Martial Law at Bathurst, in 1824. For the treatment of scab in sheep, the cure involves the use of arsenic. This arsenic was also used deliberately in the preparation of damper, or wheat cakes, left for the Aborigines. This gave many unscrupulous white men the means to cause many painful and agonising deaths to the unsuspecting natives. Mary Coe was a schoolgirl when she came across Gresser and Salisbury's publication. Much of the archival material in her own book, Weendradine and Wiradjuri Khoury, came from what she discovered there. Historian Emma Dortons. But she really reclaimed that history. And this is the 80s, so it's the era of black power, it's the, the tent embassy, which she and her siblings were deeply involved in and central to. It's about land rights now, sovereignty, and reasserting that sovereignty in public. A missionary, Threlkeld, wrote, one of the largest holders of sheep in the colony maintained at a public meeting at Bathurst that the best thing that could be done was to shoot all the blacks and manure the ground with their carcasses, which was all the good that they were fit for. It was recommended likewise that the women and children should especially be shot as the most certain method of getting rid of the race. That's the thing that gets to me at times when I read some of those sorts of accounts with the really bad stories of the real atrocities of how they did things and that, and like they had the hide to call us savages. We were more noble than them. Not a noble savage, but just noble people. The landowner calling for the extermination of all Aboriginals was retired Lieutenant William Cox. He's famous for building the road across the Blue Mountains, the road that opened up the interior to white settlement. David Sutter's family were among those who followed that road across the mountains. They came in 1822, just before the trickle of colonists heading west became a flood. Two Sutters drove their stock across the mountains, Father George and son William. George Sutter, he's a free settler who came to Australia. He had a slightly different view to a lot of other people, you know, like the Aboriginals were here. He welcomed them into his life, so he didn't hunt them off his land. He tried to communicate with them and accepted them onto his land. And when he came to Bathurst, they were the instructions that he gave to William. He was to treat the Aboriginals with respect, and if you did that, you just don't have any problems with them. If you treat them with respect, obviously that's what William did. So a young man coming into Bathurst, not many white people in Bathurst, obviously an Aboriginal population, so he learnt some of the language and William became friends with Windredine. In 1820, there were only 114 British in Bathurst. But four years later, this had grown to more than 1,200. Kangaroos and emus were disappearing as sheep and cattle took over the land. In December 1823, Weendradine, known to the British as Saturday, killed two bullocks. He was put in irons for a month. One of the chiefs, named Saturday, of a desperate tribe, took six men to secure him, and they had actually to break a musket over his body before he yielded. 
the strength of these men is amazing. Yeah, they didn't know how to say wintered on today, so they no. called him Saturday because he made all his raids on Saturday. But why did he start attacking? Because the people killed his two daughters and his wife just because they were going to grab some potatoes. And he couldn't save them because he was on the other side of the paddock. And it's just horrible to watch your family die. Yeah, well, the history books have got the Windrodheim's family was killed over some potatoes. And they were killed by some fellow named Antonio Rodriguez. This story comes from the memoir of the third generation of the Sutters, W.H. Sutter, the son of William. He based his account on the story Rodriguez told in order to justify the killings. But our story is a completely different story. They were killed, Waramar, Windrodheim's wife, her two kids and other people that were with her because Rodriguez found out that one young Waradri man had been having an affair with his wife. So he wanted to go and not just track this young fella down, but just go and kill any blacks he came across. Sydney Gazette, June 10, 1824. A party went out in quest of the natives for the purpose of spreading destruction among their ranks. But the only horde they fell in with comprised three women, and without questioning the propriety of such a step, immediately dispatched the poor and offending creatures, notwithstanding they were females. At night, the warriors started out on their campaign for justice. There is a very dramatic story. We're in the midst of the conflicts. It's night and William Sutter is in one of the outlying huts on the Brucedale property. There's a knock on the door and it's Windredine and an armed group of Wiradjuri warriors. And they want to speak with William. When William opens the door, he flings his arms wide, if I recall right, because he sees Windredine and he considers him a friend. And they start an animated discussion, possibly an argument, that takes place in the Wiradjuri language. And after this discussion, it's agreed by Windredine that he and his warriors will not harm the Sutter family or their property and stock. And he goes on that night, Windredine and, and the warriors go on to, you know, spear cattle, burn buildings and kill people. The story historian Emma Dortons tells is the one that appears in books because it was written down by W.H. Sutter in the 1880s. But Dinawan, or Uncle Bill Allen, holds another version of the story. What it says in history was that they turned up there to kill young William Sutter, and that's the story that's been told. But from our side of the story, they turned up there with some muskets and the gunpowder and the balls and all that sort of thing. And they wanted young William to show him how to use the musket. And young William said he couldn't, because if he showed them, they knew that he was friends with the Waradri, so that he was collaborating with them. So so he couldn't do it because he'd be known to be a traitor. Exactly. The white people would have killed him. But if the Waradri had learned how to use the muskets, it would have been a whole different ball game because we were fighting with spears. 
the warriors quickly travelled through the bush to a place called Warangania. They attacked again, giving the white men no time to defend themselves. This hut was also burned to the ground and the bodies inside burned too. Martial law was declared and a bounty of 500 acres placed on Wienerdine's head. Sydney Gazette, October 14, 1824. While Bathurst, with its surrounding vicinity, is engaged in an exterminating war, peace reigns around the ever-verdant valley of Wellington. They fought back, but the Wiradjuri were being decimated. In 1986, in the first history of the Bathurst War told from a Wiradjuri perspective, Mary Coe wrote, It was impossible for Wiendradine to stop these attacks against his people. Two-thirds of the Wiradjuri were now dead. Wiendradine accepted that he must broker a peace deal with the British. Each December, the governor hosted a gathering of Aboriginals at Parramatta. Wiendradine called his people together, and they walked almost 200 kilometres across the Blue Mountains to attend the gathering. He would have taken his time to go across the mountains there to meet with Governor Brisbane, and this all would have been weighing on his shoulders too, thinking about how he was going to approach all this and still sort of basically hold himself together. He wasn't showing any weakness about the whole thing. And what he had to do was reach an agreement with Governor Brisbane so that martial law would end. Yeah, to call an end to the fighting. He wanted to have peace, to try and save what was left of his people. He walked into the gathering and his arrival caused great commotion. He is one of the finest looking natives we have ever seen in this part of the country. And so he walked in there, people all just moved aside as they watched these fellows come in. He walked tall and proud. He knew the soldiers were unable to touch him because of the number of Koori people who had attended the feast. He walked in standing strong, wearing a hat with the word peace written across it. So obviously he had white sympathisers. The Sydney Gazette reported, Saturday is without doubt the most manly black native we have ever beheld. So a truce was called to the end of the, of the martial law. So what did Windredine come back to? Nothing like what he grew up seeing when he was a kid, seeing these white people come in and just slowly watch them destroy the area. It would have been harder for them to find food sources to survive, so basically they're living on the fringe of the town and probably becoming beggars, I suppose, for some foods. Epilogue. They had been plundered and despoiled and their country taken from them. So what had they to live for? And so the Wiradjuri people of the Bathurst area gradually disappeared and have finally vanished. But they hadn't. That's the way the story was told in 1971. But it's not the changing stories we know today. And Wienerdine is still at the heart of those stories. I think he sort of set the foundations for future fights, what Wiradjuri people have been involved with since 1824. It's a war that hasn't ended yet. 
Bathurstians have looked at the commemoration of Lachlan Macquarie arriving and declaring a town, Foundation Day, for 200 years. Now I think it's really important that also that the Bathurst War, the Wiradjuri Resistance War, is commemorated. There's no mention of the Wiradjuri on one of Bathurst's most notable landmarks, the War Memorial Carillion. But there is one place where a single Wiradjuri warrior is commemorated. On the Sutter property of Brucedale, where back in 1829, the Wiradjuri buried Wintradine. So here's a gate to Wintradine's burial site. It's a very beautiful spot. Well, they picked a good spot, yeah. It was my son who said, oh, maybe this is the spot that they picked because of that permanent waterhole. The original commemoration took place on the day after Anzac Day, 1954, with the laying of a plaque. The resting place of Windradine, alias Saturday. First a terror to the settlers, but later a friend, a true patriot. This block was unveiled by Mrs Roy Sutter of Brucedale, 25th of April, 1954. She was David's grandmother. And in 2000, the Sutter family, working with Wendradine's descendants, donated this land to the National Park Service under a voluntary conservation agreement. A walking trail with a series of signboards was created, telling Wendradine's story from both Sutter and Wiradjuri perspectives. Well, this one here is Welcome to Wendradine's Grave, a special place for two cultures. First time I come out here, it was probably in the mid to early 90s. That's when I felt comfortable to be able to go and talk to the white people about going on the land and that sort of thing and wanting to get to know the Sutters. I know my uncle used to come out here a lot, Uncle John Bug. He'd already built that relationship up and just me sort of coming out to keep that relationship going. Well, I'm just so glad that we've got all of this here and the relationship that we have with the Wiradjuri elders and the Wiradjuri people now going forward, it's been a positive thing the whole way. Like, both histories, you know, like our history and their history. So we both want to protect everyone's history. But the Sutter family's approach to history has always been different to most of its neighbours. Stephen Gapps is still roaming the Central West, looking for settler families who'll share their stories of the war with him. I just think of the Cox family. So William Cox Sr., he's on record as pretty much want to eradicate Aboriginal people because they were an impediment to their pastoral interests. But then their son ends up with a station and is regarded around the Mudgee region as one of the most kind people to Aboriginal people in the district. So it's a complicated story. I carry the scars of all those things that happened. and particularly here in Bathurst, the white people who are from the colonial families, they carry that guilt. And so the only way that we're all going to move together and become Australians but still recognise our differences is that we need to come out and talk about this in a truth-telling way, you know, and not in a way of being judgmental but in a way of having a safe space to talk about it for all of us so that we can say whatever we want to get it off our chest, but at the end of it, then walk away as friends. Sharing all the different parts of the story. Not one person holds the whole story. 
That's the way of life for Radji people anyway. No one person knows the story. Wienterdine's Forgotten War was produced by Nicole Steinke with sound by John Jacobs. Special thanks to teacher Jane Collins at Bathurst West Public School and to Bathurst Historical Society archivist Kim Baggett. Readings from Mary Coe's Wienterdine, a Wiradjuri warrior, were by Ursula Jovic and archival readings were performed by Jeremy Waters. I'm Kirsty Melville. Thanks for your company on the History Listen today. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.